Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. You know, folks, I have a, a show planned. I put all this work into it. It takes me like three, four hours to put it together. And then at the last minute, inevitably, every single time, I see something on my phone or my computer that throws me off and says, I got to talk about this first. I'm reading this absolutely ridiculous Fact check, you know, fact checks, which means they're not checking and it's not facts, um, typically run by leftist outlets, more of an opinion piece. A fact check that Joe Biden did not, in fact, campaign with a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, Robert Byrd. The fact check isn't about him campaigning with a member of the Ku Klux Klan, Robert Byrd. The title may have been off, folks. The, t- the title. Robert Byrd may not have been a grand wizard. He may have been an exalted Cyclops. I'm going to get to this in a second. It's going to throw the show a little bit out of whack. I'm sorry. I just can't take the stupid anymore. So that makes it okay. Am I? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't take. I can't take it. I can't take the stupid. Today's show brought to you by friends at ExpressVPN. Ladies and gentlemen, get a VPN today. Protect your online activity from prying eyeballs. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show this Monday. Joe, four days off. Um, how you been? How you feeling? You know, it was uh, the longest vacation we've ever taken on the show since I've known you for about the last five years uh, doing the show together. Four days off? I don't know how to act, man. I know. I mean, I know. Just, I know. It just we feels came back. Weird. Joe and I were chatting this morning. Yeah. I know. It does feel weird. But it's great to be back. Yes, we missed you all. I got a lot of material to cover today. Uh, so let's get right to it. You hear them every day on the mm-hmm. show, ExpressVPN, ladies and gentlemen. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? Does that make sense to you? Of course it doesn't. What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? No good. Big tech is more powerful than most countries are, and they profit by exploiting your personal data. It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and the tech tyrants. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the internet, a lot. Sadly, every site you use, video you watch, message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you run ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. It encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. ExpressVPN does all this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. We like it most because it's easy to use. Download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you're protected. It's that simple. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN we trust here to keep us safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Bongino. That's expressvpn.com slash Bongino to get three, uh, three extra months free. It's important. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino right now to learn more. All right, Joe, let's go. All right, a lot to talk about. Four days off. The news has been piling up. But yeah, just quickly on this thing, I, I'm sorry to get sidetracked because I, I, I have this all lined up. And maybe I'll show you some screenshots tomorrow. But I was going through fake book to look for some stuff. And this friend had posted a picture of Joe Biden. It's not the, the authenticity of the picture is not disputed. It is literally Joe Biden with Robert Byrd, former Democrat senator from West Virginia, who was unquestionably a member of the Ku Klux Klan. People, oh, he renounced it. It, it. Doesn't matter. Cancel culture, you're, and I'll get to this at the end. Cancel culture says whatever you did in the past, you're responsible for now. And that's it. Leftist rules, new rules. We're playing by your rules now. That's it. Robert Byrd, who is, is since departed, Robert Byrd, you, if you were ever associated with him ever, you are guilty of his sins too. New rules. 
Those are the rules, leftists. Now we got to shove them down your own throats. Joe Biden is in a photo with this man. And I'm look, this is actually the fact check on my phone. That's a screenshot of it. I'm not kidding. There's, no one disputes the authenticity of this photo. Biden, Ku Klux Klan guy next to him, raising his hand like, hey, he's my guy. Cancel culture rules. New rules are in effect. The leftist said, whatever you've done in the past, you are responsible for, and everybody who touches you is therefore Joe Biden been contaminated by this Ku Klux Klan member he campaigned with. He's just the new rules, right? Now, the fact checkers who are nothing more than hack losers, you know, mommy's basement dwellers who couldn't hack it in actual journalism, who are opinion writers by the left, decided to do a fact check on this picture to preserve, I don't know, Biden's imagery as not having campaigned for a Ku Klux Klan member. And the headline of this piece at Lead Stories by the hilarious Monty Plot, who I guess is trying to pretend to be a journalist, says, fact check, Joe Biden did not campaign with a grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. He didn't. Huh? Notice what they do every time, every time. They don't dispute the facts that Joe Biden did, in fact, campaign <laughs> yeah. with a Ku Klux Klan member. They pick one portion of it, the title. This time it's the title, Joe. We're not sure that they fact check the piece to make you believe the picture is fake when it's real and say, Bird wasn't a grand wizard. He was just the head of the local chapter no! of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, <laughs> oh, in that case. It's different then, Dan. It's Joe, different. it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. That's, don't worry, don't Joe. Worry about he was thing. not a grand wizard. <laughs> what did you say? But like, what was his title? We were trying to figure <laughs> it out because we had heard this in report. Click, what was he? The exalted cyclops? cyclops oh, some... I'm sorry. Yeah. He was the Medusa exalted cyclops. <laughs> The Stygian witches. The, oh. what, what, I mean, we'll be back into like, what is. the hell are we doing? You're just, it's the title that matters. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to get off track of the show because I just, I should have this material pre-prepared. It just really candidly pissed me off before I got on the air. This is it. This is what fact checking has become. Yep. Radical far left Orwellian use of the language. He did campaign with the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, no, no. It's the title of the Ku Klux Klan guy that matters. All right, moving on. All right, let's get to some uh, happenings mm. over our four-day vacation here. Uh, folks, President Trump signed the stimulus and government funding bill. Uh, I just got to give you the facts here. I spoke about the potential for a pocket veto last week. I thought it was his best weapon here. If you want to watch that show on uh, Wednesday, our last show, you can hear it out. But um, two takeaways here. Number one, it's an atrocious bill. It's an atrocious bill. Don't take my word for it. Listen to President Trump. He told you last week the bill is terrible. He pointed out all of this foreign aid for cultural diversity in the Pakistani police force. That's not a joke. I'm not trying to be funny. This stuff is in the bill. Costa Rican gender inclusion programs. $431 million less dollars for immigration detention beds. Less, not more. Less, not more. The bill's atrocious. That is a fact. There's no sugarcoating it. I don't do my show on any political allegiances. I do my show based on principles we've stuck to for five years and have served this well. It's an atrocity to humankind. So your next question is, well, why did President Trump sign it? Because, ladies and gentlemen, outside of the pocket veto option, which we're not even sure what happened there because of the timing of the bill that was still up in the air by Wednesday. He needed some backup. And I have to tell you and be candid with you, he has been ill served by the pathetic 
Republicans up on Capitol Hill um, and inside of his bureaucracy in the White House, too. I'm really sorry. He's been very ill-served. He needed some backup on this, and he doesn't have it. Outside of very few, and there are some left, some principled Republicans left on Capitol Hill, but very few. Outside of those few, ladies and gentlemen, he's been entirely sold out. He had no backup on this at all. This was a great chance for the Republicans in solidarity to stick to it, to say, hey, listen, we come first. Let's get rid of all this foreign funding. Let's transfer the American people's taxpayers' money, because it's our money. Let's not have any illusions about these government stimulus checks. It's our money. It's our money given back to us. That's all it is. Stop. It's not a multiplier. Forget all of that. But it would have been a great opportunity to say all of this stuff is gone. We're getting rid of all of this foreign aid for now. We can reconsider it later. We're going to take a principled stand and we're going to return the money to the American people. It didn't happen. And President Trump had no backup. And there was no, let's be absolutely candid. There was no way from the single-handedly make it happen because he doesn't have any backup up there. I'm not apologizing for anyone. I've said that these ridiculous spending bills are a bad idea and he shouldn't sign them. Having said that, this is an atrocity, this bill. He had absolutely no backup and nothing is going to change in Washington, D.C. unless the group of Republicans and a large majority or even a plurality of them plurality can get together and decide that we're going to stick to principles like not bankrupting the country while taking care of foreign countries at the same time. We all knew this was the wrong thing to do and it happened anyway. Do we not, to anyone listening in the audience, anyone, even the kooky liberals who listen to my show, I'm asking you an honest question. Do we not on its face know that during a coronavirus pandemic where millions, if not tens of millions of people are seriously struggling right now, that it's a bad idea to take those people's money and send it to Costa Rican gender inclusion programs? Who thinks that's a good idea? Raise your hand. Paul is not raising her. Joe, is it? No, I don't see anybody. No, I don't see Joe raising them. Okay, Mm -hmm. no hands raised here. No. Lucy, even Lucy's not raising her hand. Amelia? No, no, no one. So why did we do it? The answer is because our political system is entirely broken and we have people with no cojones at all. They have no, I blanked that out myself. Sorry for those of you who can read lips. None of them. It's broken. They are totally broken. This system is broken. We can't even conduct an election. We are perilously close to bankruptcy as a country. We are reaching the breaking point of our national debt at $27 trillion, worth more than everything we produce. We don't even produce $27 trillion in stuff in any given year. That's not even our GDP. And that's what we owe. And we're paying for Costa Rican gender inclusion programs for their police force while the country's going bankrupt. Amazingly, I'm going to leave you with some good news in this segment. Like, no way, Dan. This sounds really bad. It is. You have been sold out by the most feckless class of losers in human history that all managed to get elected to Congress at the exact same time. From just the news, which will be in the show notes, John Solomon's excellent site. Actually, does journalism. Trump averts shutdown. There was going to be a government shutdown. Signs $2.3 trillion spending in COVID relief bill. Trump had refused to sign the bill until Congress raised the amount of money paid to everyday Americans. So what's in the bill? Well, there are two, I don't know. I don't know what to call these. They're not highlights, lowlights, whatever lights. There's two things of the bill, two tenets of the bill that 
you need to get. And two things Trump says he got in from the Congress uh, in return for signing this disaster. I'm telling you, we had no leverage here um, at all. The Republicans didn't stand with him. They sold him out. And then they're saying, oh, well, it was in Trump's Trump's request, all of this foreign aid. That's fine. Ladies and gentlemen, that's fine. That's not fine that it was in there. It's terrible it was in there. But it makes my point I made in the beginning that he's the White House in general are surrounded by people in the bureaucracy not serving him well. There are people who still think this stuff is a good idea. What's in the bill? Screenshot from the just the news piece. Despite Trump's misgivings about wasteful spending and low stimulus payouts in the bill, Trump said he signed the leg- legislation because, quote, I have an obligation to protect the people of our country from further economic devastation. He said, however, more money is coming as Congress votes this week on larger checks. So he, keep that up a second. So he has gotten supposedly a promise that they are going to vote on increasing these checks from $600 to $2,000 checks going out to the American people if you meet the income requirements. President on Sunday also invoked the 1974 Impoundment Control Act to demand rescissions be made to the spending measures. Under the act, the president can seek congressional authority to rescind funds by sending a special message to Congress, identifying the amount he proposes to cut the reasons for it and the economic impact. What does that mean? So we have two things the president demanded in return for signing this thing. Number one, that they increase these stimulus checks to the American people from 600 to 2,000, again, if you're below a certain income level. Secondly, that they do these rescissions and they take this, the, the red, what he's going to red line out. There is no line item veto. Let's be crystal clear. Meaning the president can't red line the budget and say, I'll accept this, but not that. Right. He doesn't have that power, but he does have the power to demand rescissions. Now, what the rescission means is the money he says shouldn't be spent. Costa Rican gender inclusion programs. Now that money goes into impoundment and Congress has 45 working days. That money's freeze for 45 days to stop spending on that portion of it. They're not going to. Again, making my point that the president can't act alone. He needs people in Congress to help and they won't do it. There are too many rhinos combined with too many Democrats. So you get what I'm saying? The president has said very simply, okay, I will sign the bill, but I'm demanding Costa Rican gender inclusion programs, the millions we spend that we're spending on that bill. I'm demanding that be subject to rescission. The money's then impounded for 45 days. You may say, well, that sounds good. No, it's not good. Because in order for the money to be permanently taken away, like the president and we want, Congress has to pass another bill saying, okay, we're going to take that part out. And they're not going to do it because Congress is controlled by who? Democrats who are big spending disasters and their fellow rhino Republicans, which is probably half of the Republican caucus, which love the spending too. Right. That, does that make sense, Joe? So basically, yeah, in 45 sense. days, the money's released anyway. I'm telling you, that's why all this pile on on the press. Oh, he folded. What was it? I don't understand what you want the guy to do. He has no backup at all. Was it a bad decision to put all this funding in the request? Yes. Does that mean we double down on the decision and then spend the money? What kind of stupid call is that? The Democrats are like, this was in the president's request. Okay, so someone in the bureaucracy, and who knows if the president proved himself, made a bad call. So we doubled down on the bad call by then spending the money we already said was bad? And this makes sense to you. We have gutless people on Capitol Hill. I got to tell you, I'm somebody covering for, at least the president has the guts to say something. To say, hey, all right, this is stupid spending. Mr. President, it was in your bill. All right, maybe I made a bad call. It's still stupid. Maybe we should take it out. The American people don't like it. 
You voted for me, so I'm going to say something. All right, I'm not covering for the guy. It was a bad call. I'm just saying, what do you want him to do? He needs some backup. He has none. Gutless zero wonders up on Capitol Hill. You have to have people to stand with you, ladies and gentlemen. You have to. He has been ill-served by those around him. You know, it makes me think, I, um, you ever read the story of our great founding father, the great George Washington? Well, after we succeeded in the Revolutionary War, war we had honestly no business winning whatsoever based on just the odds, really, fought the British Empire with really what were a ragtag group of patriots who were overwhelmed at every single turn And we still managed to win. The probability of that was probably, I know Joe's a history buff, was probably one in 100,000. Yeah, you would think. But we're right, seriously, and I may be underestimating it. And we won. I mean, listen, they they called World War II generation the greatest generation. They were great. But I put them up as the greatest with a revolutionary generation that fought, I mean, again, insurmountable odds and we won. And the story of Washington is great that after we won, Washington was a national hero as a military leader for obvious reasons. Washington's was just an incredible, monumental, towering figure in our history. I mean, in addition to being our first president, people, you know, sometimes people forget his military leadership. And he renounced this commission at the end. He didn't declare himself king. Candidly, folks, he probably could have. He probably could have garnered some popular support to declare himself King George Washington. He didn't. He didn't do that. And when the word got back to King George in the, in the, with the British Empire, so the, did I say the United Kingdom before? The British Empire. <laughs> when the word got back, you got to get your history. When the word got back to King George that Washington had basically renounced his commission and not de- declared himself king. King George said, if this is true, he would be the greatest man in the world. Talk about leadership. Not only did he do it once, give back power and show genuine leadership, but he did it twice. Two-term president, there were no term limits at the, the, uh, the start of the country. None, that was built in later after FDR. Washington could have run until he died, and he didn't. Two terms, and he stepped aside. Where's those generations of Washingtons now? (laughs) Joke. George Washington. We don't even have any Washington Georges up there. It's pathetic. You're walking us into a guaranteed national bankruptcy like we've never seen before. Spending money we don't have celebrating it on Costa Rican gender inclusion programs. And the president can't find enough backers to take a stand. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. All right, I want to leave you with some good news on this segment because it is the holiday season and, uh, but I'm not just doing it to, you know, oh, it's the holiday season and let me just, Put some, put me, put some lipstick on that pig. No, I'm not doing that. I do believe we still, despite our country's flaws, and there are many, I'm not like a leftist cancel culture guy. 
highlight all the country's flaws and simultaneously wipe them from history. But then they didn't, which the logic of that I'll hopefully get to at the end of today's show, because there is no logic in it at all. Um, I just want to point out to you some, we've been down and out before. The Revolutionary War did not start out well for us. The Civil War started out even worse. We've come through that. We've come through the dreaded 60s and we've always made it out on top. I think there is a way out of this if we can just get some people to become those Washingtonian greatest men in the world up there. (laughs) I don't see any yet, but it could happen. It's happened before where, as Ginny Thomas always told, we are the leaders we've been waiting for. Somebody will step up and lead the charge. I'm going to get to that in a second, but you're not going to want to miss that segment. All right. Our second sponsor today is our friends at GenuCell. Big hit around my house with my wife and my mother-in-law, GenuCell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, GenuCell.com. Chamonix has extended their Christmas and holiday season sale for a limited time. Give yourself the gift of looking years younger with Chamonix's brand new Zotique Deep Correcting Serum, absolutely free with your order. The new Zotique Deep Correcting Serum from Chamonix means skin that is smooth as silk, free from redness, acne, and acne scars, and faster collagen production. Zotique increases firmness, smoothness. It diminishes adult acne, redness, and stress breakouts. You can even say goodbye to crow's feet and laugh lines. And with its immediate effects, see results in 12 hours or less. Everyone will see the difference guaranteed or 100% of your money back. That's the Chamonix promise. Go to GenuCell.com. That's GenuCell.com. Enter the code. We love promo codes. Dan40. That's Dan40 at checkout for even more holiday savings. Treat yourself. Get Chamonix's brand new Zotique Deep Correcting Serum. Their Cristal's at-home microdermabrasion treatment. That stuff works great. Exfoliating mask and a surprise luxury gift, all free with your order today, plus free upgrade to priority shipping. That's GenuCell.com, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com, GenuCell.com, promo code DAN40 at checkout for even more savings. So again, there is some good news to this. Dan, you just said we're walking into a dead apocalypse. We are. It's a mathematical certainty at this point if nothing changes. Certainty. Like, you know, saying five plus five equals 10. There's nothing you can say to change that. Well, liberals will try at dictionary.com. But it doesn't matter. It is what it is. But that mathematical certainty changes as the variables change. If five plus five equals 10, there's a way to change that. You know how? To change the 10, you add a 6. 6 plus 5 does not equal 10. It equals 11. So you change the input variables. So the way to change our path to certain bankruptcy is, number one, I said it before, to finally get some greatest men in the world like Washington up there who actually have some... Watch the video if you want to see what I'm saying as I censor myself. Let's call them pelotas. (laughs) Pelotas it is. Please, that's number one. We already talked about that. Number two, there is an economic way out of this debt apocalypse, all this money we're spending, government money taken from you. That's it. It's your money. And that's productivity gains. I don't want to get too economically wonky, but there was a really cool piece in Axios, which occasionally does acts of journalism, unlike other center left outfits. But Axios has a piece up in the show notes you really need to check out for some good news and maybe a holiday smile. It's in the show notes today. Bongino.com slash newsletter is how you access our show notes. The newsletter is the show notes when you sign up. It's free, of course. Brian Walsh, he has an article in Axios, the coming tech-driven productivity leap. Folks, we're spending a lot of money. We're running into a lot of debt. 
one of the best ways to grow our economy so that the debt doesn't hurt us as much is productivity. Productivity, short for producing more stuff. It's very simple. Think about it, right? Forget all the economic wonkery, because there's one thing I noticed about economists being around reading all their work and their research forever is they love to overexplain things. It's a, here's a very simple analogy to you in your real life why productivity and debt matter. We're in a lot of debt. Imagine you were in a lot of debt. Imagine you owed $50,000. That's a lot of money, right? By any standard, $50,000 is a lot of debt. Forget about a home mortgage. Just say you own it to, you owe it to a bank for a loan you took years ago. You can't seem to get out of it. One of the best ways to get out of debt, if you don't have the income to pay it off, is to produce more stuff. In other words, you own a business that produces bagels. You want to sell more bagels. You produce more bagels and people buy them and you make more money. And all of a sudden you're making $500,000 a year selling bagels. The $50,000 debt ain't so bad anymore, right? Pretty simple stuff. The United States economy works no differently at the macro level. The way to make our $27 trillion debt seem less significant is to increase productivity and produce more stuff. Stuff is where wealth comes from. More cars, more medicines, more computers, phones. I've talked about this frequently. This Axios piece is great. Productivity or us producing more stuff and making big, bold, huge, enormous gains in the economy, ladies and gentlemen, for years has been stagnant. Yes, we've had some marginal increases, but we've had nothing like the bold leaps in the early 1900s and in the 20s and in the 50s. The bold leaps were electrification of the economy. Do you realize the the, uh, oil, you know, history, the History Channel had a great show on this weekend, which it's been on forever, but uh, the men who built America, talking about Rockefeller and Carnegie and Vanderbilt um, and J.P. Morgan and Edison and, and Nikolai Tesla. How these big, huge revolution, even intend to throw that in there, but you know, I always like to put my watching history on there. How the use of oil and energy and gasoline and how electricity changed everything. All of a sudden, you didn't have to go home from work at five o'clock anymore. You could produce more stuff until 10 o'clock at night because an electric light went on. Do you understand how powerful that was? Where are these big, bold innovations? You may say, well, the advent of the internet, fair enough. But it hasn't transformed the economy into from a subsistence agricultural society, which we were at the turn of the century, to this industrial powerhouse we have now. Not much has changed over the last couple of decades. Where has the productivity been? Well, if you check out this uh, screenshot from the Axios piece, they say that, listen, the downside of this coronavirus is the coronavirus. A lot of people died. There's very few upsides to that. There's no upside to death. But the one economic upside may be our economy may be transforming and that big productivity moment may be on us right now. From the piece, they they cite a tweet from this guy, uh, Nabil, who on Twitter writes, hey, look at this, a working mRNA vaccine, first ever in humans, the Apple M1 chip, SpaceX, SpaceX's rocket launch, GP3, I'll get to that in a minute. That's pretty cool stuff I talked about before. Tons of cool companies IPOing and tons more getting started. V-shaped recovery, electric cars, crypto going mainstream. This is from the Axios piece. It says also in a blog post, Tyler Cowen, who I like, added in a few others, including affordable solar power and remote work, and asked whether total factor productivity, a rough approximation of the effects technology and progress had on economic productivity in 2021, quote, will be remarkably high. Maybe the highest ever. 
In other words, folks, what this Axios piece is saying is that we are on a verge of a productivity revolution like the 1920s, electrification of the economy, the advent of, of, uh, of commercial flight decades later, the internet's transmission of ideas around the world in microseconds. Are we on the verge of that right now? And he cites these technologies that are burgeoning. Some of them brought on quickly because of the coronavirus. Some not. Some have been in work for, at work for a long time. Now, the country's borrowing a lot of money from itself. We're printing up a lot of money to give to ourselves. Printing up money, making today's dollars worth less, making our kids work harder for less money. But if we were borrowing money from the future to finance a business, the U.S. economy now, that's going to produce more? Can we get out of this? The answer is maybe. There's a piece I included in the show notes about this GP3. And I'm not suggesting the government has any role in growing the economy. It's far, it's better left than the private economy. I'm simply suggesting if the private economy can move forward with these massive technologies we're seeing now, and like Cowan and others at the Axios piece seem to think, we could have an explosion in productivity, make our $27 trillion in debt seem like nothing. GP3 is fascinating. It's a, without over-explaining it, and be, to be clear, I don't, I don't want to under or over-explain it. Um, so I put a piece in Fortune on the show notes today, bongino.com slash newsletter for you to check out. So maybe it was Forbes or Fortune, but it's there for you today. It says, what is GP, GPT3? I'm sorry, GPT3. It's an AI type system that doesn't give structured rules to artificial intelligence and allows it to learn by just inputting a series of examples. Kind of like a neural network. Hmm. And it gives the ability, this artificial intelligence, to ask it a question and to get an answer in text, in basically human language. You say to give, you give the GPT-3 an example of an app you want to develop, millions of examples over and over, it tries, it fails, it tries. Eventually, it figures it out. You ask it to develop an app, and you watch it write the code right in front of you. Imagine software developing new software in the future to clear the bugs from the old software, the software developed. We could be on the verge of something great, but we really need Washington, D.C. clowns and jokers to get out of the way. And we need to elect better people to know that they're limited in their knowledge and let the American economy take over. All right. Speaking of standing up and taking a stand, you know, I use the example of Washington, and that's an easy one. Everybody knows that heroism of one of our great founding fathers, George Washington. But what about a modern example from a guy, you know, kind of like us? I mean, nothing, not of athletic skill, certainly. I mean, this guy far supersedes our athletic skill. But did you all see this? I am not a fan of the NFL. I don't watch anymore. You know that. I watched the Super Bowl because of my, I have to cover it for news. I, I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything about the NFL anymore. It's not virtue signaling. You do what you want. I just, you want to kneel for the flag? I'm out. Sorry. Goodbye. Um, having said that, I'm not a fan of the NFL. But J.J. Watt, who is an uh, incredible talent, a defensive player, I believe for the Houston Texans, they're apparently having an awful season. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I just know they stink this year, apparently. And yeah. Watt, who's a very talented player and can be a very generous guy, 
Yeah, it's a Joe. No, Joe falls yeah. more than I. But um, they uh, maybe politicians can take a lesson from him. He was asked about their terrible season and what should happen. And he gave this, this is about 53, 54 seconds of a speech that's gone viral. But this is J.J. Watt. Maybe these D.C. swamp rats who need to step up and become greater men and women than they are now can take a lesson from this guy. Check this out. This can't miss. Or a professional athletes getting paid a whole lot of money. If you can't come in and put work in in the building, go out to the practice field and work hard, do your lifts and do what you're supposed to do, you should not be here. This is a job. We are getting paid a whole lot of money. There are a lot of people that watch us and invest their time and their money into buying our jerseys and buying a whole bunch of shit. And they care about it. They care every single week. We're in week 16 and we're 4 and 11. And there's fans that watch this game, that show up to the stadium, that put in time and energy and effort and care about this. So if you can't go out there and you can't work out, you can't show up on time, you can't practice, you can't want to go out there and win, you shouldn't be here. Because this is a privilege. It's the greatest job in the world. You get to go out and play a game. And if you can't care enough, even in week 17, even when you're trash, when you're 4 and 11, if you can't care enough to go out there and give everything you've got and try your hardest, that's bull. Amen, brother. That is bull stuff. You're professional athletes. You're paid millions of dollars to play one of the greatest games on earth, football. Get out on the damn field and show some pride. Maybe politicians in D.C. can take a lesson from that. In a constitutional republic, in a representative democracy, you're the representatives of hundreds of thousands of people in Congress, potentially millions of people in the Senate, depending on the state. Show some damn dignity, man. Show some dedication and fidelity to the cause, the cause of the advancement of the American people their economic prosperity, their educational prosperity, their healthcare prosperity. Do you always have to put yourself first every day? Always, all the time? Can one of you step up and grow a pair of pelotas? You know, I worked in a key food supermarket in Forest Hills on Metropolitan Avenue, and I've told this story before, and I know many of you have heard it, but some of our new listeners haven't. And I was the aisle four guy. Aisle four with Mr. Victor. He was a great man, Mr. Victor. And aisle four was my thing. And that may have seemed laughable back in, you know, I was, I don't know, 18 years old. I forget. Oh my gosh, Dan, what a goofy job. Aisle four, man. I was proud of being the aisle four assistant manager. There were only two of us. So being the assistant manager really didn't mean something for aisle four. On the hierarchy of key food, that was probably out of 100 jobs they had there, maybe 98. But I was proud of that. When Mr. Victor was out, aisle four was mine. And I was very proud of aisle four. Always made sure the cans were leveled, brought up front, labels facing forward. Prices were put on in a standard way. And at the end of the night, I was responsible for mopping up. And let me tell you something. Nobody mopped aisle four like me. I was proud of that mop. Made sure the mop was clean before I started. Make sure it got rinsed, make sure it dried, make sure nobody walked down that aisle after the store had closed. I didn't want any footprints in my aisle. Made sure everything was dusted down. I was proud of aisle four. Maybe you zero Pelotas politicians up on Capitol Hill can start showing some dignity and be proud of what you do too. You're walking our country off a cliff and you're praying that we're all powerful and strong enough as entrepreneurs 
to enhance our productivity and produce more stuff to rescue you idiots. You're supposed to be helping us produce more stuff, not making us produce more stuff to rescue you complete losers. Grow some pelotas, maybe someday. Put some fertilizer down there. Maybe it'll work. Pathetic. It's disgusting. I've never been more proud to have lost races for Congress. Because if that's what it takes, I'm not kidding. To sell out and become one of them, not interested. No thanks. All right. I've got this is going to be one of the I'm going to move on. I got it. This is a very important segment. Very important segment. Folks, cancel culture is metastasizing. I want to get to my last sponsor today because I want to go through this. And please don't go anywhere. It's metastasizing and it's getting worse. And I want to bring to you two stories that happened this weekend, which are going to probably not shock you. And that's the shocking part. They should shock you and they won't. All right. Our last sponsor today, our friends at Vincero. Ending the year would not feel right if I didn't talk about one of my uh, my best sponsors, Vincero Watches. You see this watch on me every day. I get all kinds of compliments. I love it. This is the Altitude. It's one from Vincero Blue, Vincero Blue Face. Leather band. I have my black one here. Joe has an Altitude, too, with the green band. This is the black on blue here. They're absolutely beautiful watches. You're going to get tons of compliments. These things sell like hotcakes because people love them. Don't overpay for a watch that doesn't look as good as this one. This is the, I love this. They have uh, uh, watches for women as well. They are, they make the lovely Paula look even lovelier. People go crazy. They get great feedback about it. Now's the time to shop because they believe it's important to finish off the year strong. Visit VinceroWatches.com slash Bongino. Get the URL right. To get up to 25% off any item. It's their big end of the year sale. They have some holiday and New Year edition, New Year's editions releasing, so it's very important to go shop now. Their styles sell out fast, especially the holiday editions. With Vincero, there's no brand name markups, no big-time price tags. Their promise to you is simple, solid, beautiful. In this case, this, man, this is the manliest watch ever. Well-made products you will enjoy wearing. And womanly watches, too, for the lovely Paula. The customer service is amazing. They'll make things right during the heavy buying season if you have any issues at all. Vincero offers free shipping, 30-day returns, and guarantees your watch for two years. They have over 26,000 five-star reviews. It's the perfect time to get yourself something you've been wanting. Go ahead, check out all their stuff. They make incredible items for men and women, the perfect gift for yourself too. End the year off strong by making a style statement. Go to VinceroWatches.com slash Bongino. V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com slash Bongino. Go to my link. Pick out uh, your favorite watch. Check out this altitude. This is a cool one. Get a great discount right now. It's one of the biggest sales of the year. Don't miss out. Joins hundreds of other Dan Bongino Show listeners who've already purchased and get one today. Time to wrap up the year by getting yourself a special item you've been wanting. VinceroWatches.com slash Bongino. Check them out. Lots of compliments there. All right. So, um... I read these two stories this weekend. I don't even say weekend because we were off for four days. It was like an extended weekend to say the least. Um, and I want to get into a larger argument here about what cancel culture is really about. What is cancel culture? It's, of course, uh, as you well know, many of you, um, some of you may not, though. 20 years ago, you happened to write in a blog post something that was off color, stupid, or in some cases worse. And the rest of your life, you are supposed to be sent into the uh, Ren, and, Ren and Stimpy land of the left socks to never be seen again to the Phantom Zone, like in the Superman, Man of Steel movie or whatever they were, um, and banished forever. Right. You are not allowed mm -hmm. to apologize for your sins of the past. 
Only if you're Joe Biden, though, oh. who is campaigned with Joe, not the Grand Wizard of the yes. Ku Klux Klan. Don't get it wrong. The exalted Cyclops. Yeah. Their uh, case, it's okay. It's okay. You're Joe cool. Biden yeah. and Robert Byrd are allowed to apologize for openly racist behavior, but no one else. Now, you may say that doesn't sound logical. It's not logical. But the left isn't logical. It's all about power. That's what this segment's going to be about. Let's go to example number one, Wall Street Journal. This is insane. More examples of the absurdities of cancel culture coming to your neighborhood soon if they're not there already. Wall Street Journal, Megan, uh, Megan Cox Gordon. Even Homer gets mobbed. A Massachusetts school has banned the Odyssey? Huh? Oh, it gets worse. They don't only ban the Odyssey. They ban the scarlet letter that's next on their list. They're trying to, this not the Massachusetts school, but this hashtag on Twitter that wants to get rid of these classics is now trying to get rid of the Scarlet Letter. I found this part more interesting than the Odyssey, only because I've actually brought up the book, The Scarlet Letter, many times. Hester Print and the whole idea of destructive groupthink. Now, wouldn't it be weird if these people were using groupthink to cancel a novel? about the pernicious effects of groupthink. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? From the Wall Street Journal piece. But this is the left. These are the stupidest people on earth, the left. I hope you understand that. And they think you're stupid enough to follow them. Quote from the journal. The subtle complexities of literature are being reduced to the crude clanking of intersectional power struggles. Thus, Seattle English teacher Evan Shin tweeted in 2018 that he'd, quote, rather die than teach the scarlet letter unless Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel is used to fight against misogyny and slut shaming. Outsiders got a glimpse of the intensity of the Disrupt Text campaign recently. That's the campaign trying to get rid of these books, folks. Recently, when self-described anti-racist teacher Lorena German complained that many classics were written more than 70 years ago. She said, quote, think of U.S. society before then and the values that shaped the nation afterwards. That is what is in those books. Capitalize that. Cancel culture is metastasizing. And for those of you on the left who practice this abomination to human history known as cancel culture, I want you to understand, number one, you're imbeciles. Number two, there is zero logic behind what you're doing. And number three, it's a strict power play for you to make up for the fact that you are totally, completely incompetent and cannot compete in a merit-based society because you're losers and you need another way to seek power and you gain power through canceling others and being celebrated for it. Let's go through those three things. As I said, isn't it fascinating that the Scarlet Letter, a book where pernicious groupthink relegates Hester Prynne to wear the Scarlet Letter the rest of her life because she made a mistake with, the, with her adultery in the book, The Scarlet Letter. Isn't it really weird that a book about that, the dangers of groupthink and others, it's very complex, but it's not just about that. That groupthink is being used to cancel a book about the dangers of groupthink. That makes sense if you're a liberal because you're a moron. And you like cancel culture because it empowers you to cancel classics. 
Wow, what power? You couldn't gain that power through merit because you're a liberal and you're an idiot and you don't have the ability to succeed in a merit-based society. And you covet power. So you get power by engaging in illogical activities like canceling other people. A power you could never obtain through merit because you're an idiot. Second, isn't it bizarre and totally illogical that the left trying to wipe out classic works of literature like the Odyssey and the Scarlet Letter are erasing the past and trying to erase it by highlighting the past. Don't you pay any attention to what you're telling, what we're telling you not to pay attention to. Huh? Let me write entire articles about the dangers of a book no one should see. Maybe just shut up about it, let people figure it out. I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Isn't this kind of don't touch the red button? Don't you dare touch the red button. Remember Ren and Stimpy? And, uh, what was it? Stimpy can't, you gotta touch your, you want to erase the past by highlighting the past you claim you want to erase. Just shut up about it if you don't like it. There's another story I'm going to get to here in a second, highlighting how cancel culture, my third tenet here of this, is nothing more than a function of losers and idiots who can't function in a merit-based society because they have no merit. They're dumb, they're dopey, and they're lazy. They like sitting in their basement eating marshmallows, but they feel because of their allegiance to the left and they've been told by leftist teachers and mommies who told them that they deserve a ribbon for finishing in 22nd place and not mopping the floor. Don't mop the floor, son. You're not worthy of a mop. You are worthy of far more. You're so smart. No, you're not. You're a loser. You're a loser. You can't even mop a floor. That's what speaks to what kind of a loser you are. So their mommies and daddies have told them their successes despite being unsuccessful idiots. So their only path to power is to align with radical leftists. And it is powerful. It is intoxicating to be able to cancel others. I'm sorry, but it is for losers, not for you. Here's another story in the show notes. Read this one. You want to get really PO'd? The American conservative, Rod Dreher. Jimmy Galligan, moral monster. Who's Jimmy Galligan? Who's Mimi Groves? Oh, you better read this one. Some of you've heard it. Most of you have not because it's been a busy weekend. I'll put up a screenshot from this piece in a second. And when I do put it up, I want you to notice the word empowerment in there to show you that cancel culture from people who are losers is all about gaining power over others. They cannot get through merit because they don't have any skills. Well, there's this guy, Jimmy Galligan, who was sent a Snapchat video of a woman named Mimi Groves. Keep in mind, these are high schoolers. Joe, as you well know, having a son yourself, every kid in high school makes nothing but terrific decisions, no, right? All the time. Yeah, yeah no problem. Joe, Joe did. Yeah. I mean, uh, little, never made a mistake. I mean, my, no, my daughters never have. No, Of course. Yeah. No one's yeah. ever made a mistake in high school. These are high schoolers <laughs> yes. we're talking about here. High school. So this kid, Jimmy Galligan, a New York Times profile was run on this kid. Apparently was sent a Snapchat video of a, uh, an, uh, a student in a school by the name of Mimi Gross, who in the Snapchat video was repeating the words of a rap song where the N-bomb was dropped. It's never a good idea to use that word. But people make mistakes. And keep in mind, she was repeating the words in a song. We shouldn't be using it either. I thought to cancel calling. No, it doesn't affect rap. No, no, God forbid it. 
They're just telling the story of the streets. I, I thought we're not supposed to use that. So why, why celebrate? I don't understand. Why celebrate? So she's repeating the words of a song. This guy, Jimmy Gallion, apparently saved this video for four years. What? what? I know you haven't heard this. So Joe's reaction, it's not like an act we do. Hey, Joe, pretend you didn't hear the story. Joe doesn't no. get the, this component of the show. Joe only gets the videos. Saves a video for four years. This uh, woman, Mimi Groves, then gets into the University of Tennessee and puts out some social media post about Black Lives Matter. She supports it, this Mimi Groves. She supports Black Lives Matter. I want to be clear. Apparently, then someone sends her back this video that this guy Galligan had been holding for a while and says, hey, if you support Black Lives Matter, what about this video? Are you dropping the N-bomb in the video? It becomes viral. Mimi Groves gets canceled, is forced, forced to withdraw from the University of Tennessee that, according to the piece, pressures her to do so. And this Galligan kid gets a New York Times piece that basically, like, is almost laudatory. Like, look at how cool this was. They canceled this woman. From the American conservative piece. Again, notice the strategic use of the word empowerment. Jimmy Galligan now goes to college in California, and he's proud of having ruined Mimi Groves' college experience. College experience ruined her life. What if this is from the New York Times piece? Quote: One of Miss Groves' friends, who is black, said Miss Groves had personally apologized for the video long before it went viral. Once it did in June, the friend defended Miss Groves online, prompting criticism from strangers and fellow students. We're supposed to educate people, she wrote in a Snapchat post, not ruin their lives because you want to feel a sense of empowerment. For his role, Mr. Galligan said he had no regrets. Quote, if I never posted that video, nothing would have ever happened, he said. And because the internet never forgets, the clip will always be available to watch. Oh, Mr. Galligan, the internet does live forever. But for you too. Galligan went on to say, I'm going to remind myself that I started something, he said with satisfaction. You taught someone a lesson. I've got a feeling that's huh. not the only lesson going to be learned from this. Amen, bro. Mm -hmm. Listen, Jimmy, it's a free society, man. You do whatever you want. I'm just saying, as someone a little bit older than you, made a lot of mistakes myself. I think you made a catastrophic one and you have no idea. Who's going to want to befriend this kid? Now, having said that, you may say, Dan, you can't say two contradictory things. You can't say, well, Galligan may be isolated because no one's going to want to be around this kid. He's probably recording you to teach someone else a lesson, I guess. His words, we taught her a lesson. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think Galligan may learn some lessons there from rational people and employers who are going to be, I think, very skeptical about having this guy around. Who does that? But believe me when I tell you, the radical left, the cancel culture lunatics who see this behavior as logical, are going to celebrate Mr. Galligan as a hero. There's no doubt. And ladies and gentlemen, as the black friend of the woman who posted it, who said, hey, she's already apologized for the said, there's a sense of, quote, empowerment in that. You get to cancel and destroy people's lives. Dan, you may say that's a sick sense of power. Yeah, it is. But I'm not telling you any of this is logical. I'm not telling you that whether it was Mussolini or Stalin's search for power or anyone else, evil men at a, at a more 
tragically grand level or lower level throughout history have all been motivated by the same need to covet what others have. And when you in your life, when you have no skills, no abilities, and you're kind of a loser, you covet what you see every day. Remember Silence of the Lambs? He covets Clarice. He covets what he sees every day. People covet what they see every day, and that's the power of others. And when they don't have an ability to start a company or get promoted in their own because they're losers, how easy is it to gain power to coddle yourself up to a radical left that all you can do with just one or two tweets is to destroy and cancel someone else's life and then be celebrated? That's power. That is power. It's sick. It's disgusting. It's going to be the downfall of our republic if it isn't stopped. It certainly has caused the rotting of our culture to the core. But make no mistake, that's real power. This woman's going to have to deal with this the rest of her life. The rest of her life. Because some knucklehead held on to a video for four years. And regretted it all. His words, not mine. New York Times, like all over. <laughs> it's great. It's not all. New York Times, I think, kind of went at one point, kind of warns off some of this behavior, to be fair about the piece. But highlighting this in general is a really, really bad idea. But folks, none of this is logical. This is not about logic. There's nothing in Mr. Galligan's argument that's logical that a video posted four years ago by a teenager repeating what she heard in a rap song should permanently destroy this woman's life and humiliate her forever. There's nothing logical, but this is not about logic. It's about power. I told you before how leftists don't have logic. Logic is used in a meritocracy, not in cancel culture, because the people involved in cancel culture have to get power without merit because they don't have any. Canceling is their power, and it is illogical. The irony of canceling a book about groupthink the scarlet letter, using groupthink. Doesn't occur to the left that that's not logical. If it does, they don't care. They need manipulation to get power, not logic. Showing you again, highlighted again in another Wall Street Journal piece about this phenomenon of woke culture and how it makes no sense at all. It's totally illogical. Here's the Wall Street Journal. What's, what's that name? Chilton Williamson Jr.? My eyesight's not that great. Chilton Williamson. Hey, not too bad. Here's the, This is a great piece. The woke see no evil. And nothing but evil. How can you see no evil and nothing but evil? I'm going to get to a screenshot from this piece again, talking about again. So we highlight in ground we're talking about how this movement by the left is not based in logic at all. It is based in the use of Stalin's wiping out of hundreds of millions of lives. And all of the tyrants throughout human history is, of course, tragically illogical. But they don't use that's just power for them. It's just a search for power. The illogic of the left is right in front of us. In this piece, I'm going to get to the screenshot in a second. They talk about this weird conundrum the left in cancel culture finds itself in where they simultaneously expose and highlight the sins of the United States. Slavery, Jim Crow, the use of the N-word throughout history. Expose it and highlight the sins while simultaneously obliterating any evidence of them from our history. It doesn't make any sense. From the piece. It's great. This is, listen to every word of this. 
He talks about the dispute over the existence of black Confederate soldiers as it being a clear instance of how radical progressives in their war in America have been pursuing two contradictory aims at once. Listen, this is this where it's really important. It says, first, they've worked tirelessly to expose what they view as the fundamentally and indelibly racist character of America from its inception. That's the purpose of the 1619 Project and subsequently developed by the New York Times Magazine. And they use it to rewrite, edit, and otherwise, quote, correct the history of the American Republic. Second, they've sought to sanitize America's cultural achievements and thereby satisfy the moral demands of the present time, all for the good of future generations. Goes on to talk about this illogic in the next paragraph, where he just says, I wrote one line down. The left is spreading fantasies while condemning realities. How are we going to learn from our past and our flaws? Which is supposedly the left and cancel culture's goals, right? This is what they tell you. They're all for equality and inclusion, anti-racism. By wiping out examples of racism in the past, we can use to learn from. Can someone explain to me for a minute how that, how that works? How you're going to expose and highlight the sins of our past while demanding they be obliterated, textbooks obliterated, language rewritten, Huckleberry Finn rewritten, and sanitized. Sanitize it so you never see it for future generations who are expected to learn from the sins of past generations. How exactly does that work again? But if you're an idiot on the left, that makes perfect sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't about logic. The left by its nature is illogical. Logic is used in a meritocracy where reason and common sense and hard work are used to get people to the top. When you're a loser who can't function in a meritocracy, you have to get power other ways. You have to manipulate. You covet power. You see it every day around you. You see wealth, you see authority, and you can't gain that because you're just too stupid and lazy to do it on your own. That's why you're a leftist. You're immune to facts and logic. So you have to find another way. And the best way I've ever heard this summed up is in the amazing book, Revolt Against the Masses by Fred Siegel. This is an actual screenshot from my copy. Andrew Wilkow and I both love this book. It's an amazing book. Last time we spoke about it, it shot up on the Amazon book charts. <laughs> Fred Siegel, Revolt Against the Masses. It's about the left's centuries-long level, centuries long war against the middle class. Dan, the left? The left's for the little guy. No, no, it's not. The left is about canceling the little guy. The left hates you. And this part, I'm going to read you this, this paragraph from the book because it's worth your time. It's about how the left, again, can't use logic and reason because they're too stupid and lazy. They'll never get and achieve power that way, so they get it through manipulation and force because they feel like they've been cheated. They're in their mommy's basement. They're eating Malamars and roasting marshmallows because they have nothing better to do. Malamars are great, by the way, especially with milk. Absolutely terrific. They... They refuse to, they feel a sense of entitlement. Wait, I'm a leftist. I should be the CEO of a major company because I'm a leftist. No, you're just too stupid and lazy to do it. So they feel the sense of entitlement and capitalism and a meritocracy and entitlement will never go together. From Siegel's book, this is amazing. 
Read this book. It's really fantastic. He says, quote, the contributors to civilization in the United States, many of them Harvard men, were driven by resentment. The so-called lost generation, explained Malcolm Cowley, was extremely class conscious. Like Bourne, they had a, quote, vague belief in aristocracy and the possibility of producing real aristocrats through education, Cowley said. They went to Europe to free themselves from the organized stupidity and to win their deserved place in the hierarchy of intellect. They felt that their status in America's business culture was grossly inadequate, given their obviously exceptional intelligence and extraordinary talent. Their simmering anger at what they saw as the mediocrity of democratic life led them to pioneer the now commonplace stance of blaming society for their personal failings. Animated by a patrician spirit, they found the leveling egalitarianism of the United States an insult to their sense of self-importance. You ain't going to see it ever written or said any better than that. The leveling egalitarianism of having to work for a living is an affront to the cancel culture liberals' delicate sensibilities. They believe they should be European-style aristocrats, that their education entitles them to all of the benefits of living in an advanced society without having to work for any of it. Their urban studies teacher in college told them how smart they were. And when they acknowledged woke culture and cancel culture, their urban studies teacher gave them an A in their paper, despite having to ever, ever critically think about the consequences of that. And now they graduate and they find themselves working as a uh, low-level bureaucrat in a Fortune 500 company making $30,000 a year, and they're offended by this. So they have to get power other ways. So they align with BLM and Antifa and other movements, and they get power through manipulation and cancel culture. And it fulfills their need to escape the leveling egalitarianism of an actual meritocracy where you have to work for a living. Because now they're celebrated, just like CEOs are, just like Mr. Galligan will be amongst his leftist cancel culture friends. He'll be an icon forever. I'm not sure he's the icon he thinks he is, though. I can't get in Mr. Galligan's head, but I'm going to tell you in the future, I think he's going to deeply regret this. Really. I can't imagine uh, any company outside of the wokest of the woke who would look at this and see this as some positive characteristic. Who knows? Maybe they will. But leftists will celebrate it. I you know, Dan, you. All I, right, I, I, to, I can't help but remember the rioter getting in the cop's face and going, you've never even been to college. Do you remember that? But what part? about the... Yeah. Well, what, not only that one. Yeah. What about the one getting in the black cop's face, calling, oh, dropping the N-bomb on him? Remember, yes. these are not, Bingo. these are not rational, sane people. Folks. My Again, man. There's no logic in getting in the face of a black police officer, dropping the N-bomb on him while simultaneously claiming you're the woke one. But logic doesn't matter. Oh. They'll be celebrated by the Antifa friends. Good point, though. Yes. Anyway. Thanks. Dan. All right, folks. Uh, I hope you had a really great holiday. It's great to be back. We will be here for you this week, uh, knocking out a bunch of high quality shows. We do our best. Hey, I'll be in for Sean Hannity tonight. If you want to check it out, I'll be guest hosting. Got a long day today. Tomorrow is chemo day. So I'd appreciate your prayers and support. Hopefully our last one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So, you know, we'll see if we get the hiccup problem after that. Please subscribe to my video show, rumble.com slash Bongino. 
R-U-M-B-L-E.com slash Bongino. It's free. We've far surpassed our YouTube followers on Rumble. And uh, you can always listen to the show at Bongino.com. And please check out BonginoReport.com every morning. It's your alternative to the Drudge Report where we actually put the best conservative news of the day out there. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in. See you all tomorrow. You just heard Dan Bongino.